Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of God. Hello, everyone. Welcome to worship. My name is Andrew. I pray that the delay service gave you a different type of rest. And for those of you guys I, I won't be seeing this week, happy early Thanksgiving. Now, we've been going through a sermon series called The Hard Things of Jesus. You know, we've been going through different books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it, these are sayings of Jesus that is really difficult to understand, but actually is even more, even more difficult for you to live it out, you know, if you really understand it. Today, we're going to be talking about, oh, you of little faith, or about the storm. Now, what is, what is storm? In the Bible, the storm represents our suffering, our troubles, or any type of pressure in life. You know, so storm is a metaphor for, you know, our, our, our suffering. Now, I think this passage can be relatable for many people in this room because some of you guys are going through it right now. Some of you guys have this weird pressure in life, but you don't know what to do with it. You don't know how to handle it. So you ignore it, you push it to the side, and uh, you just hope that things get better. Maybe for some of you guys, you guys, you guys feeling this pressure, but you know the best way for you is you know just just trying harder, but you feel like you're not getting anywhere, you know, and maybe for some of you guys, you know who are experiencing burden and pressure of life, uh, you guys are just trying to. Just get by, week by week, month by month, year by year. Friends, imagine that you're in the middle of the storm, in the, in the ocean. Life jacket will help you. It will stay you afloat, but that's not going to save you. What you really need is somebody who's going to come to you to get you out of the depths of the sea. What you really need is somebody who's going to come to you with a boat, put you, back, put you in, and give you shelter. What you really need is someone who can walk on water, reach down, and say, I'm here. That's Jesus, and he got three points for us for today. Our storm, God's presence, 
his worship. Our storm, God's presence, his worship. Now, first point, our storm. Read verse 22 with me. It says, immediately or uh, at once, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them uh, to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Now, to give you con- like some context about our passage, uh, the passage before Jesus feed 5,000, verse 21 is helpful because it says that Jesus fed 5,000 men besides women and children. So if you have to be really like a little bit more accurate, he was probably feeding 15 to 20,000 people. To give you like a picture of what that's like, if you guys ever been to a Flyers game or a Sixers game at Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia, it's like feeding everyone packed. It, it, uh, it fills about 20,000 people. So Jesus with the disciples feeds 20, you know, about 20,000 people. And, and, you know, at this point, um, during that time, Jesus says, well, to the disciples, feed my people because they're hungry. You see, before all of this, Jesus was doing a lot of miracles. He was casting out demons, healing the sick, right? But, and basically what he did was he empowered the, the disciples. He sends out the disciples before, and they were doing the same thing. They were doing miracles. But when Jesus asked the disciples to feed the 5,000, they said, there's no way. There's no way. No, I can't do it. I only got five loaves of bread and two fish. There's no way. Friends, they had all the proof and experience to know that Jesus would give them the power to do it. But they said they couldn't do it. Their hearts were hardened. You know, basically what was happening is, even though they were good, doing good things, miracles, they were relying on their own strength. And Jesus, at this, in this passage, is about to challenge that. Verse 24, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted uh, by the waves because the wind was against them. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. To give you guys some more context, basically this is what happened. They fed the 5,000, really 15 to 20,000 people, right? And after that happened, he pretty much told the disciples to go. Get on the boat and just go. No direction, but go. And then he dismisses the crowd, goes on the mountain, and prays. When you have dinner, that's probably around sundown. So, and then, you know, verse 25 is the fourth watch. You know, translate that, it's probably 3 to 6 a.m. in the morning. So Jesus went on a mountain for eight hours praying by himself, eight plus hours. But the, at the same time, the disciples were rowing on the boat against the wind same amount of time. So just to give you a picture, you know, um, the disciples were rowing all night. And John 6, the parallel passage, gives us more, more uh, information. It says that it was about 25 to 30 uh, stadium, which means it's about three miles. I mean, you and I, we could walk three miles in less than eight hours. Think about it, 12 men rowing a boat Eight plus hours, they only get to three miles. They were stuck. They're trying their best to get out of it. Like, they must have been scared. They must have been exhausted, tired. 
Friends, I wonder, I wonder, do you feel like that sometimes? How many of you feel like you're not going anywhere in your career? You know, what is your five-year plan? Is it just me or do y'all hate that question too? The answer is always, usually, I don't know, <laughs> right? Maybe you feel like you're not getting anywhere with your relationship, whether it's your family, your friends, maybe people in this room, you guys are, maybe some of you guys are new, or maybe some of you guys have been here for, for some time, but you still feel like you haven't met or found a group that you feel like you belong. How many of you feel like you're stuck in your feelings? I mean, the days are shorter. It's already dark, you know? How many of you guys feel like you can't get out of this funk in this holiday season? Guys, it's Thanksgiving and Christmas. Holidays are not always so joyful for everyone, me included. How many of you guys feel like no matter how hard you try, you're just not sure if people will accept you? love you, care for you, and does that scare you? The disciples, they, they can relate, because no matter how hard they tried, they were stuck. They were in the middle, and, you know, they're scared. If anything, they're probably going backwards. And when Jesus came to them, they said, it's a ghost. They were even more afraid. Why? Because just like them, we're probably afraid when we're faced with truth. And the truth of the matter is, sometimes your best is not good enough. Sometimes your personality, your skills, your job, your wisdom, um, your efforts, your character, they fall short. The issue is that our strength is more real to us than Jesus, meaning the storm is actually a good thing in some ways because it teaches us, it tells us how helpless we really are. Storms teach us that we rely on our courage uh, or our ability for courage. We often try to go through life uh, with our own wisdom, knowledge, but when we're faced with truth, we can't accept it. It's hard. So there's two things that we can learn from here. Uh, from the storms in our lives. And first is that Jesus will unpurposely lead you to places that you don't want to go, right? Jesus actually told disciples to go into the storm, you know, probably knowing that the storm was going to happen, you know, because he wants us to be more dependent on him than on our own strength. It is in the storm that Jesus is helping us to face our storm, but not by our own strength, but by his. Secondly, Jesus wants to demonstrate uh, that the best way to combat the storm is not in the absence of it or avoiding it because you can't avoid it. It's in the presence of Jesus. What do I mean? Second point, God's presence. Now, verse 27, it says, but immediately or at once, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. Notice Jesus doesn't stop the storm, right? And Matthew 8 is a similar um, passage where the disciples were on the boat. Jesus was in there. He was sleeping, and there was a big storm. They were scared, and the disciples go to Jesus and be like, Jesus, bro, this, we're about to crash. Or we're about to drown. Will you save us? 
Jesus gets up, rebukes the crowd, I mean, rebukes the, the storm, and it calms down. But in Matthew 14, same thing. There's, they've been wrestling with it for hours. Yet Jesus doesn't say, he just, Jesus doesn't rebuke the storm. Jesus simply says, I'm here. It is I. That term, it is I, it, it could be also translated, uh, translated as I am. It's an Old Testament name that God gives to Moses in a burning bush in Exodus 3. So let's look, take a look at that for a little bit, okay? When Moses was called by the burning bush, uh, by God, uh, in Exodus 3, God shows himself to Moses, uh, and God told, tells Moses to confront Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the power, most powerful man on earth at the time. He had a very powerful army. And actually, Moses ran away from Egypt. And now God is telling Moses to go back. Moses was going through a storm. Moses was anxious. You know, he was scared. Yet, God was telling Moses, look, go, go back and say, let my people go. Finally, after doing some wrestling, Moses asked, who should I say has sent me? God said, tell them I am sent you. It's the same word for it is I, if you translate it. I am has sent you. So if I had to paraphrase, paraphrase what Jesus is saying here, it's this. I'm not just a God that can walk on water. I'm not just a God that can calm the storm. I am God of the Old Testament. I was there when I made Moses, uh, Adam and Eve. I was walking with them in the Garden of Eden. I was there when they fell. I was there when Noah happened, when the flood happened. I was there with Moses in the burning bush. I was there when I split the Red Sea and saved the Israelites. I was there consistently. I am the same God that was with the Israelites for centuries. I am for you. I, who can be against you? Why are you afraid when I am with you, when I am for you? I am. Friends, in the midst of the storm, we just want a quick fix, don't we? We just want God to make it better. Jesus is saying, nah, you need me. Now, well, how do we respond? I love what Peter says in verse 28. In verse 28, he says, Lord, if it's you, sometimes some translation says it like, since it's you. If it's you, since it's you. Tell me to come to you on the water. You know, think about it. How will Peter go to Jesus? There's a gap. Peter is actually praying here. Peter is actually requesting Jesus to help him to do the impossible, to help him do the unthinkable, to help him do what he thinks that he'll never be able to do. And I wonder, how many of you guys go to Jesus and you pray like that? I wonder, how many of you gone to Jesus saying, Lord, if it's you, since it's you, help me. Because I don't know if I can reconcile my relationship with my, my family, my children, my, my friends. Lord, if it's you, right, since it's you, 
help me because I feel like it's impossible uh, to stop looking at my past failures and stop worrying about my future ones. Lord, if it's you, since it's you, help me because I feel like it's impossible to change. I've been living a double life all my life. I act one way at church and one way at work. I act one way with my friends and I act another way in restaurants. I'm living a double life. Father, will you help me? When you come to Jesus in that way, he embraces you because without a doubt, every time Jesus will say, come. At least that's what verse 29 says. Jesus says, come through. Friends, that's my hope for y'all. When you encounter Jesus, that this will be your prayer. That, that you will ask God to do the impossible, to face the storms in your life. Now, the trouble is, we will go. We may be. You know, Peter did. Look at verse 30. You know, Peter goes. He goes to Jesus. But what happens? It says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And, be, and beginning to sink, uh, sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. He was doing so well. What happened? Right? He was doing so well. What happened? Um, you know, he saw the wind. He got distracted. He stopped looking at Jesus. He started sinking. You see, Peter was still at this time trying to get to Jesus through his own strength. Friends, I don't know if you guys are like me, but if you guys ever come to church thinking that, you know, I have to fix myself, or before coming to Christ, I have to be more lovable, or more, more savable, or more um, acceptable. That's basically what Peter was doing. Peter was trying to get to Jesus with his own strength, still. And a lot of times we do the same thing. We pray with expectation. We serve with a sense of entitlement. We get distracted and get lost by the winds and the waves. We want to be lovable, savable, and acceptable with our own strengths. But look at Jesus. Verse 31. Immediately or at once, Jesus reaches out to his hands, caught him, and said, you of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? Now, he says that phrase a lot in the Bible. Oh, you have little faith. But usually he says it to a crowd. This is the only time in the Bible where he actually says it to one person. So, you know, when you say you, there's multiple ways of doing it. You or you. Where's your heart? Why do you doubt when you're in your room by yourself, where does your heart go? Where does your mind go? What is it that your heart is clinging onto and you just can't let it go? Jesus is asking a very penetrating question. He's asking Peter, as he is asking all of us, where's your faith? You see, the beautiful thing about the gospel is that it exposes your heart. It exposes your heart um, uh, in the how you rely on your strength and your ability. It exposes by saying, 
your sin is more real to you than Jesus. So friends, if you're in that position where you feel like you're sinking, you're trying your best. I mean, I've been coming to church every week, going to see, you know, community group. You know, but if you still feel like you're falling short, that's a great place to be. This is a quote by this famous um, preacher named Charles Spurgeon, and he said this about this passage. He said, Peter was closer to Jesus when he sank than when he walked on water. If you're feeling this way, Jesus is near. He's saying, I'm here. And the ultimate hope that we have is in Jesus and how he has done everything perfectly. What do I mean? Let's go to our third and last point, his worship. Verse 32 and verse 33, uh, it talks about how when Jesus brought Peter back into the boat, the, the storm stopped and they started worshiping Jesus. You know, that didn't happen before either. Matthew 8, which is a similar passage, they were just amazed. But here it says that they were worshiping Jesus as the Son of God. This is the climax of the passage. After all that happened, they were worshiping Jesus. And the reason why they were worshiping Jesus is because, well, before they only saw Jesus saving other people, doing miracles, healing the sick, right? But they didn't realize that they needed saving either. And when Jesus saved them, that's when they were transformed. At the same time, you know, we have to also look ahead. These same disciples that were, that were you know, worshiping Jesus, they actually betray him. In Matthew 26, Judas betrays him. Peter denies him. The disciples fall asleep on him in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was anxious. And when he was on the cross, where are the disciples? I mean, where is their worship now? Where did their worship go? The faith was so small. They were distracted by the winds and the ways of the people. So, you know, that, how valid is their worship? It's valid because their worship doesn't rely on their consistency, right? Their worship didn't rely on, on how how well they kept their eyes but all on Jesus. Because we're not saved based on how well we go to him, but on how consistently he comes to us. It's not about how well we look at Jesus, but how he never takes his eyes off of us. Although we were distracted, Jesus was never distracted. And in this passage, Jesus didn't stop the storm, but that was because Jesus was prepared to save the disciples from the ultimate storm. In other words, Jesus didn't save them initially so that he could take the punishment. On the cross, Jesus experienced the greatest storm. In Matthew 27, it says that there was darkness, there was an earthquake, there was a storm. Jesus was experiencing the cosmic storm where he took on all of our sin upon himself, the wrath of God. On the cross, Jesus became weak, helpless. If there was any man on this earth that could get, him, uh, get himself out of the storm, it was him. But he stayed there. He, he remained helpless. He faced the storm. But at the same time, his love for you was that, he, that God would forgive you. On the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting Psalm 22. He was, uh, he was, he was in agony. He lost all access, and he lost the intimacy with God. And for Jesus, losing God, 
the father was the ultimate storm, yet he was glad to do it. Jesus was singing, praising, worshiping God by quoting Psalm 22 because when you read later on, it was talking about how he would praise to the nation, uh, spread the word to the congregation, and how he would worship God ultimately. Friends, the fact that Jesus, his worship was perfect is our only hope because Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. This means when we are faced uh, with our storms, we can be comforted in knowing that we are in good hands because the only storm that could fully, truly drown us was taken by Jesus. So all the other storms are minor storms that can't hurt you. This means we can now worship God freely knowing that our salvation, our hope, and our rescue does not rely on our strength or anything that we have to offer, but all on Christ. Because our storm may come and go. It may come and go, but what will never go away is the presence and the perfect worship of Jesus. Friends, I just want to close with this. As we close, we're about to you know, sing a response song. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. And I love this, I love this hymn because it's, it's so good. It, it just paints a perfect picture of this message. Rock of ages, the ultimate strength, the ultimate source of power. Jesus was cleft for me. He was broken so that there's space for you to come and hide. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wound decide which flowed. Be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Friends, I know there's, it could be tough right now. It could be tough. Storms, they may come and go. But what could hold you together, what could help you face the storm is Jesus. Let's look at him together. And when we encounter him, let's sing with one voice saying, truly, he is the son of God. Let's pray.